0: Welcome to Mana for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. How are you guys doing? Welcome. We are moving on into Chronicles 2022 today, 1 Corinthians 14. Nice to have you guys with us, as usual. We will jump over and and look at uh, this day in history trivia. If it will pull up for me, there we go. But why not, why not throw in a dad joke right off the bat here? Why is a politician like a restless sleeper? Because first, they lie to one side. (laughs) <laughs> and then they turn and lie to the other. Uh, that was pretty good. I like that one. Okay. Let's move on here. A uh, quote for the day. It is difficult to find happiness within one's self, with, but it is impossible to find it anywhere else. Arthur Schopenhauer. Okay. Let's say U.S. first U.S. president to ride in an automobile, Theodore Roosevelt, Hartford, Connecticut. In a Columbia Electric, Victoria, that's what he was riding in. Didn't even, that was a car. Okay. First, a manned American steamboat, 1787. It was made on this date by John Fitch. He first demonstrated, it had a whole uh, top speed of three miles per hour. But first steamboat, 1787. Man, they were on it early Loch Ness Monster, um, according to the life of St. Columba by St. Adenon. Columba has an encounter with Nessie. Okay, this is in 565 AD on this date. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And... Archibald M. Wallard, American artist, best known for his painting of, this, of the Spirit of 76, a uh, guy with the drum and the two guys playing the flute, or the guy playing the whatever it was, flute, um, famous painting, uh, he was born on this day, uh, back in 1836. All right, that's all enough, that's enough of that stuff, Book of Chronicles, okay? So, Father God, thank you for guiding us here this morning. Not by accident, but we ask God that as we're coming together around Your Word, that You would continue to watch us and to make us more like You in Your image. In Jesus' name, Amen. First Chronicles twenty, war with Philistine giants. You gotta love this chapter. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the army and ravaged the land of the sons of Ammon, and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem, and Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it. David took the crown of their king from his head, and he found it to weigh a talon of gold, around 70 pounds, I think, and there was a precious stone in it, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it. Then he cut them with saws and sharp iron instruments or with axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now it came about after this, that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines. Then Shebekai, the Hushite, killed Sipai, one of the descendants of the giants, and they were subdued. And there was war with the Philistines again. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had 24 fingers and toes, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. And he also was descended from the giants. And he taunted Israel, Jonathan, and the sons of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These were descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Chapter 21. Then Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring me word that I may know their number joab said may the lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are but my lord the king are they not all my lord's servants why does my lord seek this thing why should he be a cause of guilt to israel nevertheless the king's word prevailed against joab therefore joab departed and went throughout israel and came to jerusalem joab gave the number of the census to all the people to david and all israel were one million one hundred thousand men who drew the sword and Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them. For the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. David said to God, I have sinned greatly, and that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. The Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do for you. So God came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now therefore consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. Now God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, but as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. David said to God, Is it not I who who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. 8 verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. And Ornan was threshing wheat. And David came to Ornan. Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and prostrated himself before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build an altar to the Lord. For the full price you shall give it to me, that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, Take it for yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his sight. See, I will give the oxen for burnt offering and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat and the grain offering. I will give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings. And peace offerings. And he called to the Lord, and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. The Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back in his sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. But David could not go before it to inquire of the Lord, for he was terrified by the sword of the angel of the Lord. Chapter 22, then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to hew out stones to build a house of God. David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails for the doors and the gates and the clamps, and more bronze than could be weighed, the timbers and the cedar logs beyond number. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and this house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout the lands. Therefore, now I will make preparations for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Solomon charged with the task, verse 6. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build the house of the Lord of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had intended to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You should not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from his enemies on all sides, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper. If you are careful to observe statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now behold, With great pains I prepared for the house of the Lord. One hundred thousand talents of gold and and one million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight, for they are in great quantity. Also timber and stone I prepared, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone and carpenters, and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron, there is no limit. Arise to the work, and may the Lord be with you. Verse 17, David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? He has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Pretty amazing uh, three chapters here. And I picked, I picked up something here that I don't think I've really seen before. It's so helpful to read, just read through the scriptures, just boom, and observe what they're saying. And the one thing I picked up here that I had not maybe connected or fully brought together, and I hope it is like a, a logical spiritual thought that the Lord would want to communicate to us, was that this battle with the giants, you notice there's big emphasis that David and with his brother and these other people have these encounters with these giants. The giants were in the land after those days, after the flood. Remember how they came about. They came about through the fallen angels of God having relations with women and creating this race of giants. So they were, they were part demonic. They were not fully human. They had, and of course, through the generations, that through the many, many years, how that affected their DNA and how much they became more human or whatever, but uh, they still had their origins in rebellion and an attempt by Satan, really, to try and overthrow the kingdom, uh, God's kingdom, to be like God so it was part of his plan he they were they were his army they were his plants on the earth to come against the sons of Adam so what's what I find fascinating here is after we see that they are stamping out what almost seems to be the last remnant of these giants now up to the time of David uh, now that he's king and of course they there'll be a few isolated instances of them later but mostly this is, it looks like this is the end of the giants as they're killing off the last remaining ones. It says in, I guess, the beginning of chapter 21, if I remember right, it says that Satan had a plan. It was interesting. Satan put it in the heart of David or something, tempted it to number the people of Israel. And I thought, you know what? He is so crafty, he knows that if he can't win by his army, of giants, if, if that didn't work and they were not able to kill the Israelites and, and try and kill off David, well, then he's going to try and get God to do it. And so he knew the most effective way to destroy Israel and the army of Israel is to get them to sin against God. And so he somehow kind of s- Satan's crafty gets David to number the people of Israel. And 70,000 people, I think it says, died of the plague. And and then, of course, what's amazing is it's like everything is falling apart because David does this sin against God. And is almost his kingdom is falling apart. The angel of the Lord is ready to destroy everybody. I mean, Satan's like winning here. But he goes to the threshing floor, and he repents. The heart of David, again, the, the prototype of the Messiah, the the one who, not that the Messiah would ever sin, but the the fact that he is so... So completely God-centered, dependent upon God, and, and lays it and, and intercedes. That's the point. He intercedes for his people. That's what he does. Let me take the hit. Don't don't put this on the people. It's not their fault. It's my fault. And God s- stays with the angel. The execution does not allow them. To, to, does not allow the angel to go in and do any harm to Jerusalem. And then David offers up sacrifice and says, "Here, here. This is where I want the." temple to be built so that man can come before God continually like he was offering sacrifice and interceding for people and asking God's forgiveness and we can see how beautiful this was that David says now that we're forgiven," he's like dodge that bullet now uh, you know go back to being king he says no what he wants is that he doesn't want man to ever be tripped up or defeated by Satan and he wants him to continually come into the presence of God he cares for his people. And he says, now let this be the place that I we can put the Ark of the Covenant, the one thing I know where the, the manifest glory of God is over the, the cherubim. Put that in there. And so the man can have a place to come before God, holy God, and have this encounter and his forgiveness. Beautiful, beautiful as we study these chapters together. First Corinthians 14, just the first 25 verses. Prophecy, a superior gift. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, yet especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, How will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? But if the bugle produces a distinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kindness without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks, our barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by their lips, by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to the unbelieving, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, the ungifted men of believers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Wow, we could get into all kinds of interesting uh, conversations and and probably have something to offend everybody on this one, but here's the, the overriding thing that I think the Scripture is saying is, number one, whatever you do when you're in fellowship in church and you are sharing your gift, It should be based in love and you should have a loving heart, a humble heart. And then if you're going to use your spiritual gifts, especially if it's tongues, it must be interpreted in the church service. You see, tongues is for the individual. When you speak in tongues, is it for men? No, it's for God. If there's no interpretation, if you're speaking in tongues, it's just you having your spirit communicating through the Holy Spirit to the Lord. And therefore, we highly encourage people to seek the gift of tongues, but to do it at home. And we highly encourage people that if you have a tongue that God knows that he wants to share something with you and you are moved by the Spirit to do it in church, that you interpret it, that you know you have the interpretation or you find somebody who does. We're not against that. It's just that maybe we're living in a generation where we're out of practice or we just don't have enough people that interpret. So we just know that we have to do it biblically. because. See, there's an issue when everybody is babbling in tongues and you go into a service. He's saying that it's it, it's not profitable because nobody can understand what the people are saying. And so I've been in services, you probably have been too, where there's 15 minutes of people going blah, 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 blah all over the place. Everybody's speaking in tongues and you're walking in there. And um, maybe you're considered one of the ungifted, right? Uh, like Paul says, either the unsaved or the ungifted or something. You come in and they're going to look around and go... And Paul's saying, how are they edified? Because of all this, the babbling going on. Uh, therefore, Paul says, what's better is that if you're going to do it, do it one or two at a time and get interpretation. So there is the biblical model. And therefore, if I, I go into a church and they're saying, oh, oh, that's not tongues, that's our prayer language. I just say, okay, show that to me. It's a, they, they twist some scriptures to get to, to try and make that say something it really doesn't say. In the ser- what they do on their own at home, great, go for it. Speak for two hours in tongues. I mean, just go for it. That's you and the Lord. Awesome. But in the service, we're supposed to edify one another. So that when uh ungifted or unbelievers come in and they hear prophecy, that's that then they're they're going to be challenged, edified. Now, prophecy, what is prophecy? It is also speaking forth new things, but also speaking forth with authority, speaking forth the things that have have been prophesied. Paul wanted to instruct the believers, so when he spoke in prophetic, yes, he spoke prophetically new things about the, say, the the, um, communion. We just covered that in Levin. But we live in an age where the, the Scripture as a whole, the canon of Scripture is closed. Now, there can be words of knowledge. There can be certain things that God wants to show you but in a doctrinal sense, about how do I live? How do I grow? How do I how do I be made more in the image of my God, less like me, more like Him? There is the whole council of Scripture that has so much to say to us, and a person that is gifted will take those words that have been spoken as revelation through the the apostles originally and expound them, and apply them into our day. So that people go, wow, yeah, okay, exactly. I, that makes sense to me. God is communicating to me that he loves me with an everlasting love, he's coming back. God is communicating to me through the prophetic word that he's coming back soon. And now I'm seeing the, the, through prophecy being spoken in the church, I'm seeing how all of this is tied together. And now I, I want, I desire nothing more than to receive this and be more like my Lord and my savior. So this is the value. This is why Paul says, much rather do one word of that in ten thousand words of tongues. So the the overriding thing is don't be hyper legalist and be against anything of, of the gifts and say they cease, they no longer exist, because Paul says, I speak in tongues. Paul certainly spoke in tongues. He wanted everybody to speak in tongues. He saw nothing wrong with it. He just said, in the church, we should focus on edifying one another. And I, that's why we take that stand. That The issue now is uh, uh, we just don't have a lot of people with the right balance in the church that know how to do this. So this is why we would rather caution on the side of not having the tongues in the service although i've never said you can't speak in tongues in the service by the way i all i've said is if you're going to speak in tongues in the service please interpret please allow us um to to be blessed with the interpretation and that's that's the only thing and that's the requirement and that's why we wait on the lord if somebody speaks in tongues we said is there an interpretation okay and um, and of course we can get carried away in this whole conversation for a long time because people say you're not allowing us to speak in tongues because we don't uh, we don't spend that time in the in the worship service uh, waiting on the Lord and and I can understand that especially on the English service we're limited on time but my belief is that if the Lord wants to communicate something to us he can do it within an hour and a half that he really can that he's not he doesn't need three hours and and so I've I've had good friends that have had gifts of tongues and stuff who have um, talked to me about that, and I said, please, just just raise your hand and say I want to share something. So I'm encouraging you guys. Any you guys have something you want to share, prophetic in nature, um, before the teaching starts or something, we can we can certainly do that. We don't want to hinder the Holy Spirit in any way. We just want to do it as Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. This should be the litmus test for every one of us that go to any church service. Enough said. Charles Spurgeon, surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Psalm 76.10 Wicked men will be wrathful. Their anger we must endure as a badge of our calling, the token of our separation from them. But if we were of the world, the world would love its own. Our comfort is that the wrath of man shall be made to rebound to the glory of God. When in their wrath the wicked crucified the Son of God, they were unwittingly fulfilling the divine purpose. And in a thousand cases, the willfulness of the ungodly is doing the same. They think themselves free, but like convicts in chains, they're unconsciously working out the decrees of the Almighty. The devices of the wicked are overruled by their defeat. They act in a suicidal way and baffle their own plotting, Nothing will come of their wrath which can do us real harm. When they burn the martyrs, the smoke which blew from the stake sickened men of properly more than anything else. Meanwhile, the Lord has a muzzle and a chain for bears. He restrains the more furious wrath of the enemy. He is like a miller who holds back the mass of the water in the stream, and what he does allow to flow, he uses for the turning of the wheel. Let us not, let us not sigh. But sing, all is well, however hard the wind blows. <laughs> what an encouragement for you today, right? If the wind is blowing hard, what an encouragement. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. We do thank you for uh, all that you're, you are doing, and we thank you for uh, the blessings we have in you. We do want to just come before you and humbly, God, be in a heart like David, saying "It's God, we want to intercede for the for our family, for our friends. We know we haven't been perfect in our lives. We know that your wrath is coming upon this world. But God, we want to intercede for those that are still yet saved and ask that your spirit be moving out and and touching people and and stirring people to, to make decisions. We thank you for those with strong gifts of evangelism. God, use them, make us more like them, help us to share our faith openly. We do pray for the evangelism team. They'll be going out on Thursday and for their work. We pray that you would raise up more uh, uh, people to, to come alongside them here in PV. And we ask God that you continue to do that in all the churches where your name is being properly taught. So thank you, God, for all you were doing today. Heal those that are crying out to you for healing right now. Touch them and make them whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, gonna end it here. Thank you, guys. We will pick this up again tomorrow at the same time. We'll see you then. God bless you. Bye-bye. <laughs>